Hello San Pedro podcast, episode 105. Hey, I'm Amanda. And I'm Jess. And this is the Hello San Pedro podcast. Join us as we talk with locals, community leaders, business owners, and people like us who love all things San Pedro. Every week, we'll explore San Pedro's deeply rooted culture, discuss local issues, and spread good vibes. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Hello San Pedro podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Amanda Silva. And I'm your other host, Jess Ramirez. And we are wrapping up a series that focuses on kids and uh, resources for families with kids um, all the way up until 18. And our next guest is actually the perfect person to really connect us to our next series, which is going to focus on environmental conservation. Yeah, in light of it being Earth Day, um, we wanted to focus on our collective responsibility for taking care of our environment. We wanted to focus on sustainability, some recycling, some other options. And so our next set of guests are individuals and groups that put all of their energy into protecting our natural habitats, um, identifying sustainability solutions, and also protecting our marine life. That being said, um, of course, we mentioned our next guest is incredible. She's amazing. She's been in the uh, community for many years, and she is passionate about the environment. Um, And what she's done lately is really incredible, um, focusing her work on kids. Uh, So we're going to go ahead and just get right into the episode and let her introduce herself. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. My name is Jennifer Zuzara Cheng. I'm a children's book publisher and author, and uh, I was born and raised in uh, the Philippines. It's a region called Bicol, wherein everyone eats spicy food, except me. (laughs) Uh, It's also known for uh, the land of coconut, so we eat everything with coconut. And that part, I'm one of those who is an advocate for uh, the importance of using coconut in your cooking Mm. and everything else Mm -hmm. right I would like to hear more about that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah uh well thank you so much for joining us today um of course yeah sorry (laughs) I was just gonna say it's really nice having you here I know that Amanda has been very excited to have you you join us so we're excited to get into Mm-hmm. Um, as I was saying, we're kind of right in between two of our mini series. So we just um, we're wrapping up a, a series that kind of focused on kids, kids resources, family resources, um, which of course you write children's books. Mm-hmm. And then our next series is going to be focusing on environmental issues, which oh. your books really focus on environmental issues. So I thought you would be the perfect um, connector between the two. Um, why don't you start off telling us about what it was like growing up in the Philippines? Uh, first, we my grandfather had a farm, and so I practically grew up with plants and uh, some animals. Not really more on animals, but more on plants. And so I was very interested to become a farmer. Well, my dad didn't agree, <laughs> so <laughs> here I am. Uh, I studied biology in uh, college. But growing up, I have always seen, I was always a curious uh, child. So 
my my dad had um a playhouse built from coconut fronts you know the leaves mm-hmm. and everything else for us built for uh for me and my my siblings and so we played in that and i love the smell and so the smell of grass even when i walk around i smell uh, grass it it practically brings me back to to my childhood it was always good to remember the good things mm-hmm. it wasn't perfect but uh I want to concentrate. I want to focus on the positive uh, experiences. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great way for all of us to look at our childhood too. Is to try to remember those positive experiences. Then uh, moving on, I was a science geek elementary, <laughs> <laughs> and high school. I kind of like deviate away from science more on speech and English writing essay, and then college I dove in with my two feet into science. I became the founding president of biology club of Ateneo de Nago University. It's a small university. At the time, it was small, <laughs> run by the American Jesuits. Mm. So uh, we have American um, mentors. So in my mind, science is the most important thing because you can actually see what's happening outside. So there is this professor I met. Um, <clears throat> at the back of my book, you can see a dedication to her. Mm-hmm. And she was the one who literally and practically opened up my eyes to what's happening in our surroundings. Mm-hmm. Because they came from a privileged uh, family. So I was not really exposed to the plight of the farmers, of the fisher folks. But during our ecology class, we did a field trip to, can you imagine, <laughs> 16, 17 years old, going on a field trip uh, in, a, in a beach, just isolated, and uh, identifying the seaweeds, this was amazing, and uh, waterfalls, mountains, everything. Mm-hmm. So I was practically enthralled with the idea that science should be not only for science students, but also for everyone. Mm-hmm. And moving forward, when I did my grad school, uh, my the title of my thesis was that how environmentally aware are the college students of that university? Mm. So that's what I did for my master's. Mm. So it, it, it was all going in together, uh, science, and I practically exposed my children as well. And... Uh, my life at that time was like university, family, and then field trips. Mm-hmm. 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 I love the idea that I was able to visit almost all of the uh, biomes. Mm-hmm. Well, except for tundra, I haven't. So I'm going to look for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. So science was like a continual thread throughout mm-hmm. your career, but mostly also your life, how it impacted your perspective on the world. Yes. And your that's what fed into your vision of wanting to share that with everyone. Like everyone should be able to see it through that lens too mm-hmm. and making it accessible. We um, kind of went over your whole educational career. I'm interested to know... Um, what your personal childhood and interests were outside of school you know you being very curious like did you have a lot of siblings you know what was your interactions outside of school like yeah i was a different sibling i didn't play a lot Mm -hmm. Uh, my grandfather who lived close to us at the library so i get to read books 
I was a sickly child. Mm-hmm. And um, whenever I'm home alone, you know, or not really alone, but I'm home without my siblings, I would get to, I was able to read the entire Encyclopedia Britannica from 1 wow. to 28 uh, before I graduated elementary. And so I was home a lot because I was sickly. So I get to open the books and here we go, Charles Darwin. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to go there. And I did. <laughs> we went to Galapagos with students from San Pedro High School. And so... Uh, also, I was so interested in, in the Native American Indians. Mm. Uh, so I actually went to the Hiawatha's uh, monument in, um, where was that, Michigan? Mm. Mm-hmm. So I, I did, I went there and I became involved with also the Native American uh, pathways in LAUSD to mm-hmm. help out those who have that, even if I'm not. So I have this certain affinity and I'm always, if you look at my Facebook, whenever I go museum, visit the museum, I would like, oh my God, I would stay there for quite a while. <laughs> and and I have uh, jewelries of Native Americans as well. Mm-hmm. But I like simple ones. I don't like the big ones. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so uh, that childhood opened up more doors. Mm-hmm. Because... So y- your mm-hmm. curiosity extended beyond just like typical science of what we think of. It's more like anthropological. It's like the history. It's like beyond just, you know, the hard sciences that we consider, which is pretty cool. You and have then, like a curiosity and like a craving to learn. Yeah. yeah I can tell. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I can relate with the whole museum thing. I'm definitely the one who sits and stares and reads every word. And then my husband or anyone who I'm with are just like, like, I'm done. Butterflies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they actually like seeing the exhibit, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, I'm curious. So you had, how many siblings did you have growing up? Um, we had, we were six. Six. Okay. Mm-hmm. So big family, but mm-hmm. you kind of found your world just sort of what you created. I was born old. Mm, <laughs> an old soul. It's yeah. impressive that you would pick up the encyclopedia as a young child and actually read through the pages. Now, was it a children's version encyclopedia? Because no, I it had wasn't. one with <laughs> no, pictures. It wasn't. I can't even carry it by myself. I would ask, well, in the Philippines, you have a nanny, right? Mm-hmm. I would ask her to carry it for me because it's so heavy and I would drop it off. And it's very precious. So. Yeah. yeah. I know. I'm thinking of like the big Britannica encyclopedias. Yes, They're huge. The brown one. Mm-hmm. That's very impressive. Um, I kind of wanted to get a timeline because, you know, I, I, you grew up in the Philippines and you went to university in the Philippines mm-hmm. as well, correct? Yes. And um, I know you name dropped, you, I heard you say San Pedro there. So I just want to make sure at what <laughs> point, well, at what point did you have your children and, you know, at what point did you make your way to the U.S. and did you come directly to San Pedro or did you start somewhere uh, else? Yeah. So uh, I got married right after college. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed home for seven years mm-hmm. to have the kids, you know, uh, spend time with them. So uh, that's, 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 uh, how will I say that? How will I explain that? That's okay. one of the most memorable experiences mm-hmm. in my life to stay home and, mm-hmm. you know, have, be with the kids. And I would have my children. I would have labels. I was actually into literacy without knowing it. Mm-hmm. I would have table, uh, label on the table or a chair. Because I always want them to be fluent in English. 
mm-hmm. because they are my husband is Chinese, so they went to Chinese school. Mm. But they said, well, Tagalog or Filipino actually uh, in Bicol is not very well spoken. Mm. But then I came from a province wherein Tagalog or Filipino is more spoken than Bicol mm-hmm. because I was I came from the uh, the northern side of, of Bicol, the first the first province, and my family don't speak Bicol that well. So <laughs> yeah. However, however, um, when my children have entered a uh, nursery, I went back to uh, school. I went to take my grad school. Mm-hmm. Then after that, um, I started teaching high school. Was that still in the Philippines? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's a high school for boys, all boys. It's a Catholic mm-hmm. school. But these boys are very disciplined. Mm-hmm. And they listen to you. It's a totally different different uh, world. Mm-hmm. So after that, um went to finish my uh, master's and then I was offered a job in the university college department college of science and from there on I just taught for 13 years and then I realized that the world is changing Mm -hmm. and a U.S. diploma would make my children more successful Mm -hmm. and more competitive uh, globally so I moved to United States um, even if my husband was hesitant to join us because you know he has his own business there his own life mm. but uh, we did because of our children mm. so this was the decision you were making first and knowing that moving to the US would be a good option yes but then with your husband I mean obviously that's like if he has already roots set mm-hmm. in the Philippines like making that move was a big um, jump but yeah. you guys did it together yeah 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 I came first <laughs> and then I was petitioned by uh, Mount Diablo Unified School District up north mm-hmm. and then they were not petitioning for a green card and so <laughs> I was like uh, it's not gonna work for me I want to have my daughter was already like 16 17 at the time so we're in a time constraints I applied at LUSD and here I am moved to San Pedro High to San Pedro uh 2005 i started teaching at san pedro high school in 2005 and never left so i'm yeah i'm adopted san pedron (laughs) so to speak Mm -hmm. i live here i work here i go to church here i do grocery shopping here and whenever i see parents are like hi miss jane how are you doing and so some of these parents you know they actually go out of their way to to be really um responsive to your needs donated mm-hmm. stuffs for my classroom i got i wrote grants from uh the port mm-hmm. i got lab materials wow oh, that's great yes oh my goodness so was it because LAUSD was willing to petition for a green card that that's why you made the move down mm-hmm. south mm-hmm. and then was at what point did your family join you uh, they came in 2007. Okay, so mm-hmm. two years later. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. But LAUSD was so, uh, how do you say that, supportive. Mm. That they paid for my family's green card. Mm. I was one of those who qualified for the... Uh, you, you remember the No Child Left Behind? Mm-hmm. By uh, the president, by then President Bush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, highly qualified teacher, rank four. Mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm. And so it was because of that program that allowed yes. you to be able to You can bring your family over. Mm-hmm. And they wrote an excellent uh, petition paper at the embassy. No one asked questions. They were like, okay, 
Mm. Yeah, and it, it was hard for us to come here. I mean, mm. bring your family. It's not that easy, right? Of course. But we got it. And I'm very thankful to my my colleagues as well, my, my administrators. They signed petition for a green card. They had to sign it mm-hmm. to recommend your performance. And so I did that in one year. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, that's a branch that we could definitely go on as being a teacher in the LA Unified School District. You know, you may have told me that when we met the first time, but I it escaped me. I didn't realize that I was speaking to a San Pedro High School, you know, teacher. So what classes have you been teaching? I'm, I'm of course, I'm assuming science uh-huh. classes. I teach um, honors biology. I teach AP biology. And well, my love is AP Environmental Science. Mm. So I teach honor students. Environmental Science was the only science that I really enjoyed in college. Mm. And I remember coming home and making my parents have different um, recycling cans for all of the things. Because at the time, everything was just going in the trash. Mm-hmm. And I, that was the one thing that I came in. I said, Dad, we're getting this, we're getting this, we're getting this. We need to start recycling. It's so important. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah, incredible impact, of course. It's probably one of our very necessary sciences right now for all of us to learn. That's I agree with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very much. And then um, what was the adjustment living here? Oh, like, yeah, whenever people ask me about um, how it was teaching in a, one of the best university in the Philippines, well-behaved students, I want to be fair with my students at San Pedro High School that uh, if you talk to the dean, I don't usually ask help from them. Mm-hmm. I try to talk to the students first because I work with them. And then usually if you have your tone correct um, and then you have, they understand that you're just trying to do your job, then usually the students would cooperate with you, except for sometimes, you know, there are a few things that are actually, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but I don't want to concentrate on that. I want to be fair to my students at St. Peter High School when it says that uh, writing and reading and comprehension, they actually can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and. I'm 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 amazed with how some of them would get fives in AP. I always tell them it's not me, it's you. Mm-hmm. I I have ninth graders who can write AP standards already because at ninth grade you wanna make them ready to go to AP science classes in the future, which I teach as well. Mm-hmm. I would give them sample. I'm gonna tell them, okay, this is AP activity, and okay. uh, they would be more, you know stepping up to the challenge. And so my students, I, I'm known to, you know, <laughs> to be so, oh, how are you doing? You know, kind of like, like that personality. Yes, because I'm naturally like that. Mm. But it took me a while to be like that because I had my guards, you know, up. But then at the latter part, uh, I am part of the SAS department of St. Peter High School. What is that department? Uh, students for Advanced Studies, mm-hmm. and we produced the valedictorian so far. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm blessed. Yeah. I work with good people, uh, you know, excellent teachers, and uh, we have parents that are actually supportive, and we have students who want to learn. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're very proud of your students, too. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. I am. Yeah. A true teacher. A true good teacher. <laughs> Well, very invested. Definitely want to get into the book part of it and how that came about too. 
Um, at what point did you feel like there was a need to write children's books? Ah, okay, that part. You know, sometimes in your career when everything is going well, you want to do something different, mm-hmm. personal. Mm-hmm. So I went to school again. I went back to school at UCLA and I studied children's book writing, picture books. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go Saturdays and then have everything about the references and then I would start writing. I never get to finish because I was so busy mm-hmm. and then pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. So... I had so much time in my hands. We were supposed to go to Europe. Mm. We were supposed to go steam field trip in Europe. We were supposed to be... Uh, there were three 16-year-olds who are who saved enough money. Their parents saved enough to send them to Europe for their... I uh, know, that's 16, 15, quinceanera, supposedly, in, in Paris. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, we all know the story. Everything got canceled, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, here I am with so much time in my hands after three o'clock in the afternoon. And the safest way is to go to the beach, right? At Carrillo. I would have my, my chair, I would have my large hat, mm-hmm. and I have my fully charged computer, start typing away. And that's how it started. Mm. Was it just naturally being in that environment, or did the idea come to you? Oh, the idea. And then you started uh-huh. working. Yeah. Sorry, prior to that, something happened. My daughter gave birth to my grandson. How exciting. So in my mind, because I feel that I failed as a Filipina mother to my children because they're more accustomed to Chinese tradition than Filipino mm. and even food. So I said, like, probably I can pass on the language, right? I made some PDF files, so, you know, and then I was, like, thinking, I showed it to some of my friends, and it's like, why don't you publish it? Like, oh, I could. And so people were asking for copies. I'm like, why would they give Wow. <laughs> and, yeah, that's how it started. My the, grandson was the inspiration. The PDF, what exactly did the PDF contain? Ah, it's um, the animals. Mm-hmm. A plant, oh, I, I did the uh, animals. The one that won an award is the animal mm-hmm. uh, diversity. So instead of just only animals, they added more information such as classification. What are the mammals? What are the reptiles? Mm -hmm. And you don't find that in ordinary children's books, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, with that in mind, and also I added uh, Tagalog Mm -hmm. or Filipino, so English and Tagalog. And so there were some words that I can't, some animals I don't know because we're so... um, how would you say that? Growing up, I was so invested in English. And so my vocabulary kind of like go back and forth. Mm-hmm. So I had to ask some experts about the translation. Mm-hmm. And um, so the first book was published and no one knew about it. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So you started going to social media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the publication, so okay. I just want to understand. So you, the inspiration came from your... Um, daughter having a kid Mm -hmm. and it was your first grandkid Mm -hmm. and you wanted to pass on some part of your culture to that and Mm -hmm. so the way that you thought would be best was through the language of animals and Mm -hmm. writing it both in English and in Tagalog and um, through that process I mean did you have ideas for other book stories too or was this the first and sort of yeah so after it was even before it was published I I already wrote 28 stories 
I have 28 now. I have actually 35 because, you know, with, with this uh, happenings, I'm in front of my computer mm-hmm. typing away. And mm-hmm. so uh, after the basic, so the first one was uh, animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, second one is plants. And then colors. Mm-hmm. And then shapes. And then numbers. Mm-hmm. And are there many, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like are there many children's books in Tagala that exist at the moment? Some of them, yeah. Some, but not many. So not you felt many. there was a gap mm-hmm. to fulfill there. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe not many focused on, you know, science, yeah, science, science and those interests. I think I'm the only one doing the science and, you know, hitting two birds. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Environmentalist was hitting two birds in one stone. Mm-hmm. I get the language and I get the science as well together. Mm-hmm. But I would always want to emphasize that um, there are people that I have met, uh, Filipino-Americans, that are very supportive. And so like, I don't have a child anymore. Here's $10 to help you. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet. Yeah. And uh, so you get a lot of support from the community, which is great. Yeah. 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 Uh, Well, I was just going to say, I've seen her books and they're amazing. They're beautifully illustrated. And I was so impressed right away when I saw them. We bought one. My son, he actually does have an interest for animals and he has an interest for like learning. He mm-hmm. has a very short attention span. Thank so you. we kind of have to read a few pages, mm-hmm. you know, at a time. But he's super curious too. Very curious. So these books are excellent for kids. It's, you know, my son's five years old. Um, what would you say the target age range is for your books? Yeah. So the learning books actually, um, the learning books that I have in Tagalog, English one and two, I, I have that edition in English only for the non-Tagalog speakers. Mm-hmm. And uh, the good thing is that the learning books would probably you could start at what eight months to um four mm-hmm. but what i did was even if i have to spend more money and have less profit i had it printed in the united states to make sure that the quality of the ink because you know how kids would usually mm-hmm. have them in their mouth right mm-hmm. yeah and so it's also a soft uh, paper bound so it won't hit the corner Mm-hmm. of the book mm-hmm. and so i want to make sure that the quality is there but the color should be vibrant as well mm-hmm. so it's very important for children to be exposed to living organisms because how will you make them support the environment if they don't understand the basic of that right and so connection to the animals and plants so to speak would be the first step to let them see. Mm-hmm. If we do this, if we protect them, this is gonna. This is what will happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. Is like, <coughs> excuse me. Go ahead. You're fine. That's um. That's such a good point of being able to have um our generations, especially with all the technology and you know digital media that we're exposed to. It's such an easy way to just um sort of tune out the rest of the natural world. And so being able to incorporate some like connection, as Mm -hmm. you're saying, to the natural world is important for them to be able to take care of it and see the importance of that too. That's true. And also when I emphasize talking about social media and technology, I some people are pro books, some people are pro iPad. But research showed that having your child be exposed to iPad early on actually is not good because it's so fast. Mm-hmm. Their brain's still developing. So this is research-based. Mm-hmm. I would say books would make them 
uh, more relaxed and rested mm-hmm. before they go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And also, who reads the books to the kids? Mom. Mom or dad <laughs> or grandma or grandpa or older mm-hmm. siblings. There's another adult who's reading what you're writing. So it's a, it's a companion thing. Yes. It's doing something together. Mm-hmm. And it isn't just like a solo activity yes. where your kids can completely zone out and be disconnected from everyone else. We're experiencing all of this right now, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> yeah. And also, whatever theme you're talking about is being read by another adult, right? Absolutely. And right? it opens up for questions. Mm-hmm. You know, it is... Um, just to share a little bit of insight for people who don't have kids, like it's very much a struggle with this mm-hmm. fast paced world, you know, both parents are likely working and it's very easy to just hand a child an iPad or in our case, a Nintendo switch, which my son loves. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I feel like it also, it just has a huge effect on their attention span. So we're creating a lot of limitations now, mm-hmm. but it, it, I completely see the benefits of like reading a book and engaging them that way. And that's all that they, that's what they crave too, is that one-on-one attention. So I love that you're, you're accomplishing that with your book. Thank you. And another point to uh, emphasize is that at the back of the storybooks are information that whatever your child asks, you'll be able to answer. Oh, some more resources. Yes, I added resources. They added more information for the adult who's reading to the child. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of those like um, in school where it's like, if you want to know more, you can go to this link and then have discussion points like you would in a book club, you know, Mm -hmm. which is great. Yeah, you've thought of everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know the illustrations. So I have yet to see the book, but like the illustrations, did you come up with that design yourself? Did you I'm not creative. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay because I, you're a scientist pretty much. I can draw a frog even if I've dissected hundreds of them or thousands. <laughs> I can't even draw. And so I had a friend. I have a friend from Ateneo that I knew is very, very, is extremely creative. And so I contacted him if he's interested. Mm-hmm. So this was during the pandemic when no one was doing anything. And so people were laid off. And mm-hmm. so that's why we were so fast in producing the books. Mm-hmm. We came up with eight titles at this time. So, uh, and I have what, how many more to go? 20, 20 more titles. I was going to say you had 30 but, something, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I had switched from uh, learning books to storybooks. The one that you have mm-hmm. is, I believe, Ocean Adventure. It is. It's a storybook. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And the tide pool. And so both of them have what you call as um, a theme. For the tide pool, it's for the starfish, which I love mm-hmm. dearly. Even my students knew. I would like, okay, here's the starfish. And so the Ocean Adventure was... Uh, Focusing on um, your octopus. So we, my son actually connected it to the time where we have gone through tide pools. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, is this like when we went to, you know, there's a little cove over there, Royal Palms. I said, yes, exactly like that. This Mm -hmm. is what we're reading That's when I wrote it. Mm -hmm. A Royal Palms? Yes. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. No, no, not Royal Palms, Cabrillo. Oh, Cabrillo. On the other side, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's being... Sold in Cabrillo as well. I know. I saw that in the in the gift shop there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. So I love that you incorporated that. I mean, it came at a time we hear this over and over again on the podcast about the pandemic being sort of this like turning point for a lot of people. Absolutely. To go either pursue a passion or pursue an idea, and it it allowed everyone time. 
space and time to be able to do that. And so it's cool that you brought someone in. Was this some a colleague that you had had before, or yeah, we were in the in the university uh, paper. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah, but he's more of a creative writing, you know. Mm, but okay. he, he, I know that he, his illustration is the best because I've seen it before and we're in college. Oh. So contacted him, you know, through. Um, I think Facebook, yeah, and then um, then after that, it just keeps rolling. And so, one interesting thing, and that I would love to get into, is about the fact that you are a self-published mm-hmm. author. Yeah, one of the things that you had mentioned when we met was the struggle that you had getting your books published, mm-hmm. yeah. and that led you to do a completely different thing than what you were doing, right? Because it's one thing to be a scientist and love in the environmental science and teach it and write a book about it, which also means that you're a writer as well. But now you're becoming a completely different thing, which is a publisher, which takes, it's like a whole different world. Exactly. So uh, what happened was that I actually submitted my manuscript to different publishers, and so they're not interested at this time. But maybe, you know... In the future or something, it was greatly done, and then this what they call that uh, rejection mm-hmm. letters. I would read them over and over again. Mm-hmm. So what was the mistake? And then I went to join uh, authors online, mm-hmm. and so they talk about even if you get published by someone else, you still have to work on selling it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the problem was that they were commiserating how this was the idea I wrote but it was edited out mm-hmm. and they assign an illustrator for you mm-hmm. so you don't have any control about what's going to happen so with that and a lot of people are talking about that and I would say uh, I can't travel I can't go shopping <laughs> why not just invest right mm-hmm. 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 and that's what they did oh my um, goodness so through the process of researching and seeing from other authors' experiences mm-hmm. how little of that creative control gets sort of waned mm-hmm. in the in the publishing process, you decided, why not? I'm just going to invest it in myself instead and <clears throat> forego this, yes. this option. Mm-hmm. So you decided to learn about publishing first? What was that like? What was the first yeah, step? Yeah, I attended an online class at UPenn. <laughs> I went to UPenn for my uh, certification too, so I know people there. Your certification for? Uh, I have a post-grad certification for uh, sustainability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how you drop all these little like side bits, you know, <laughs> just by the way. <laughs> yeah, so I know people there, so like, I want to learn about publishing. And I was like, okay, attend this class. I was like, okay. So uh, it, was, it was actually free. So, you know, they were giving out a lot of free classes at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And I did research about what to do with publishers, should I? So my husband is Chinese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he's Filipino-Chinese, but he was telling me, you know, you're going to save a lot of money if I had it printed in China and just have it over here. Anyway, you're self-published. And I was like, no. <laughs> so I don't have anything against China, but I don't want my ideas to be stolen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, also, I want the best quality for our stu- for our uh, kids, right? Mm-hmm. And you know how they, they kind of like lick the book or something? Totally. They like yeah, chew or uh-huh. teeth on the corners. Yeah, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was like, no, no, no. The best quality, there's no other options. Mm-hmm. You had your grandson in mind. Of course, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he would, uh, whenever I teach him Tagalog, he would... Um, 
He would make funny faces. <laughs> But then eventually, he doesn't live here. He lives uh, out of state. So whenever we do FaceTime, I would I would tell them like this one. I said, Grandma, what's that? So you know how we, uh, it used to be more of a, he's already bigger now. Mm -hmm. But so my books are growing up with him. Mm -hmm. It started before preschool, you know, uh, Before one year old, my books are growing up with him. Mm -hmm. But I think it's going to stop at eight. <laughs> yeah, he's very perceptive. <clears throat> he, he can read early. He's mm. an early reader. How old is he now? He's seven. He's seven. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what were... I know that you had mentioned that, you know, becoming a publisher has allowed you to actually help other people who mm -hmm. have wanted to really get their books published. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I have this, uh, another Filipina author, Filipina, she's a university professor back in the Philippines. I published two of her books here. Uh, one is in English and Philippine or English and Tagalog. There's a big conversation about which is correct, Filipino or Tagalog, okay? Mm -hmm. so. I want to make sure that they cover that. <laughs> okay, let's and talk so about that right now because I think there is a big Filipino population here in Pedro too, or there is a, I know of. So uh, yeah, let, tell me a little bit about that. Now, uh, so Harvard is offering, um, Harvard University is offering a Tagalog class. Hmm. But now people are saying it should be Filipino. Mm -hmm. so it's a, a, a problem with terminology and I want to, There, were, there was someone who actually approached me why are you using Tagalog. The reason is this. I do not, my stories are translated into Tagalog that we use for conversation, mm -hmm. not the formal Tagalog that we use in the university. Mm -hmm. So this is the Tagalog that we use for conversation with other people because the idea was to make the children be able to converse. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And so that's my, my, my take on that. Mm -hmm. Making it accessible. Mm -hmm. You know, when you mentioned the Filipino versus Tagalog right now, in my head with the terminology, I see Tagalog as describing really the language. And then Filipino is describing more or less the culture and everything that it, mm -hmm. it you know, captures. Is... Is, are you saying that Filipino also refers to a just a, a language, yes. like a more higher education mm -hmm. language? Yeah. Okay, understood. Mm -hmm. But your goal is to keep it accessible for children. Yes. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, Tidepool was translated to Spanish as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's very cool. I'd been to South America so many times, Latin America, for field trips with students. I value that I had two years of Spanish in college. And so coming back now from Mexico, I was able to full use of my Spanish. You are so impressive. <laughs> Everything that you've like gone to school for and learned, you were the poster child of what education can do for you, yeah. you know. And when you didn't know something, you went back to school and you learned it. And um, that's really, really impressive. Thank you. You probably know more Spanish than me, and I'm Hispanic. <laughs> no. <laughs> Because in school as well, we kind of like have parents, and these kids think that they can't understand them. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I didn't see that. Some of them translate for their parents. Mm -hmm. and, and because of that, I make sure that I, I know the basic words. I was like, you know put my hand down sweetie translate it correctly mm -hmm. 
And usually the parents who would show up after you want to talk to you, want to make sure that uh, their kids are doing well. Mm-hmm. So with that, I share that with any parent who want to have their child do well and confirm with the teacher is my child doing well. So they would show up even with a language gap. Mm-hmm. So I am appreciative of them coming over mm-hmm. and um, making sure that we communicate effectively, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you're uh, you're assisting their their do- their kid facilitating that conversation between mm-hmm. you and their parents. Yes, making making mm-hmm. them aware that I understand a little bit, mm-hmm. not entirely the whole thing, but I understand what's happening. Yeah. So it's comforting. Yeah. This is a side note, but as a child of someone who I, I grew up, say, <laughs> many people identify with. Yes, this. as someone who grew up having to translate a lot for either my mom or my grandmother, it was always such I mean we did it we we all do it out of necessity and it's something that you don't think twice about but I remember the times that someone can you know roughly understand a couple things here or there how much that helped facilitate better you know both for alleviating the 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 quote-unquote burden I don't want to say burden but like that quote-unquote burden on you know someone like me having to translate ideas and notions that are outside of my capacity but then also being able to just like for my grandmother or my mom, like I could think about how them being like, oh, great. Like, thank you. I'm not super helpless, you know, mm-hmm. in this situation. So also, huge. you know, there's an effort being made on your part, you know, rather than the entire conversation being relied on one facilitator, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, where things can get lost in translation. Right. And, you know, there's a patience that runs out <laughs> on either side because it's frustrating. Yeah. So yeah, that's very that's huge. So it's wonderful yeah. to hear you're the Thank kind of you. teacher that can take the time to do that. Mm-hmm. That's <clears> important. <throat> Was there anything else you wanted to share about um, the environment or what you would like us to learn? We're we're gonna be posting this um, out of our again. You're connecting our mini series here. We're focusing. We focused on kids. We're wrapping that up. Now we're focusing on environmental sciences. What can you share about this passion of yours? to the community? What would you like us to really absorb? I know you could probably teach multiple <laughs> classes on this, but yeah. in, in a word, you know, for the podcast, what would you like the community to hear? All right. So as a teacher, this is pre-COVID. I used to go with my students and pick up trash on the beach. Uh, we did that for, we've been doing that for like every month. But uh, the idea, what I always tell them is that San Pedro is actually the place wherein you have to pick up all the solid waste trash before they reach the ocean. Mm-hmm. So we're responsible for that. And also I always make sure they understand that when you wash your car on the curb, mm-hmm. it goes directly to the storm drain and the soap and all those chemicals actually go directly to the ocean and it kills the mm-hmm. microscopic living organisms. And so my students know that. And my one experience that I had was that we spent, me, two boys, no, yeah, two students actually were, you know, picking up uh, the styrofoam plastic that has, um, what do you call that, broken down into pieces. Mm-hmm. And so, and they were saying, you know, they shouldn't be doing this, they shouldn't be doing that. Because by making them... Uh, exposed to that idea makes them actually very passionate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And after we were almost 
um, were done picking up, there's a couple who was walking around with styrofoam cups. <laughs> oh my goodness. And, and my students were like, Miss Chang, I promise you, if they throw it in the ocean, I was like, guys, <laughs> you shouldn't be that confrontational. <laughs> and so some students would tell me they went to, you know, uh, the beach and they were having fun with family and there's other table was just like not throwing their trash properly and they want to tell them and I said, you model good behavior. Mm-hmm. So my students were practically, literally, um, they see the impact because I showed them videos of animals eating um, mm. trash mm-hmm. and so, you know, that's heartbreaking. I don't even want to see that. Mm-hmm. I, I, but I have to because they have to see it. Mm-hmm. And so my goal, uh, so I have a friend, uh, can I mention a name? Mm-hmm. Kathy Beauregard, uh, she actually bought several books and donated the local elementary school. Mm-hmm. And so I also donated some to a parent who's a teacher as well. Uh, and I donated to a wife of a colleague. Uh, uh, and they, you know, I'm trying to just reach out to people that you can actually have books like this. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily my book, but there's a lot of environmental books uh, that you can actually find online in in Amazon. Mm -hmm. So, um, or in Barnes & Noble, or in Target or Walmart. Mm -hmm. So, the whole idea of having this environmental awareness shouldn't be starting at high school. It should start from the basic, from the bottom. So when the kids actually started looking around that what I'm doing right now, throwing plastic or throwing styrofoam would impact a life of an animal, they would think twice, three times, four times. And that's the goal. Mm -hmm. It's it's that fundamental learning at an early age, the same way you want to learn a language or the same way you want to learn um, behavioral things that you do at that age. It's like also teaching this environmental yes. awareness. Yes. And also at that age, when you learn something that young, it really sticks with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember getting, uh, I was so young. I must have been like six or seven years old, but somebody told me, this older wise woman, she said, oh, when you wash your hair, I don't even know why we were talking about that, but when you wash your hair, don't use your nails because it's going to damage your scalp. I don't even know if that's true, but to this day, when I wash my hair, I don't use my nails <laughs> I use my fingertips yeah. mm-hmm. um, and those things that you learn as a young child they really stick mm-hmm. with you mm-hmm. um, and I would say I would argue that you know things that you learn when you're a little bit older they just don't have the same impact you know yeah mm-hmm. and I love it so you're I love how you're communicating to the community as a whole it's like we as San Pedro are physically the last stop before we hit the ocean, you know? Mm-hmm. And so being aware, I mean, that's something that just hit me right now that I'm like, oh, I've never seen it that way. And it totally makes sense that, you know, trying to take care of our town is also taking care of that last defense. Yes. Right. And the way you phrase it, you said, you know, we left the trash and we need to clean it up. You said something like that. And, and in my head, I was like, oh yeah, you know, in the greater picture, Humans are the ones who are creating this trash and therefore humans need to pick it up. It doesn't matter if you didn't litter or you put your trash in the correct trash can. Somebody else left trash mm-hmm. and that's still our collective responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the way you phrased it, it really set in with me that it is our responsibility to make sure that we're taking care of our environment. Um, 
Okay, is there anything else you'd like to share? Oh, regarding St. Pedro, I have a student who won oh. second place national for the video. Incredible. Regarding uh, solid waste in St. Pedro, this was before COVID, I believe three years before COVID. I'm going to send you a copy mm-hmm. Yeah, of the YouTube a, video. Is there a link for it? I have to get in touch with him. He's in UCI at this time. Okay. So I told him to <laughs> send it to me by Dropbox. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's actually, it's excellent. He's, he he won different awards during high school. Mm, wow. And I'm very, you know, he's one of the instrumental person that sent us to White House, that sent us to Boston, mm, you know, all those kind of exciting things that he was happened. He a student of yours. Yes. Mm. Pre-COVID. Everything happened pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to send you a link. Uh, it won for the local San Pedro High, the San Pedro competition. Wow. That's very cool. Wow, we would love to look at that. And then if possible, uh, put a link in the description. I was going to say, yeah. if we can, um, you know, let our listeners, you know, of course, might be interested as well. So we'll mm-hmm. include the link in the show notes if we can. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, wonderful. Well, I wanted to ask, um, what is one way that if someone is interested in purchasing or looking at your books, what's one way that they can order it? Oh, I have a website. What? It's Grandma. Uh, Okay. And uh, they can order or in, yeah. We'll, we'll put the link in the description. <coughs> Excuse me. That's I'm okay. sorry. Um, so it's Philam, F-I-L-A-M, mm-hmm. Ecogramma, mm-hmm. E-C-O-G-R-A-N-D-M-A. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Dot com. Dot com. Also in my uh, Facebook, same uh, same statement and then uh, same name. name and then for my um I do a lot of book fairs. Mm. Well, after this. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I'm going to try to go back when, you know, it gets better. We um, will definitely have all the, you know, all the links in the show notes so people know how to find you, how to find your books, how to keep up with your work, and of course, like how to, you know, contribute as well. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll make sure we include all that. Um, now that we are wrapping up, um, we do have a couple questions that we like to ask about the community and you as a community member for so many years and someone who's as passionate about, you know, our environment, I would love to hear your, um, your thoughts. What are some concerns that you have? This is a two parter. Mm -hmm. What are your concerns that you have about the San Pedro community? And then next I'll ask about what excites you. <laughs> um, my concern is that the solid waste trash. Mm. There's a lot. You know, we try to, I, we give service hours for the kids to, to pick up trash. And so there's one time we were picking up trash along the, we were Myler and Alma. Mm-hmm. So um, we found uh, homeless um what they call that tent and and have needles yeah Mm. so i had to like call it off and then uh the adults actually took care of it Mm. uh it's very important that we model what we believe in Mm -hmm. and so maybe providing more trash can along the buseo del mar would be helpful uh it's also very important that we recycle Mm. even in school you know (laughs) even in my classroom i would like 
hello there's a recyclable bin over here why can't you like walk three steps and put it there right mm -hmm. and so we were not very conscious about that but maybe there would be signs that would be helpful and my 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 students are awesome they're they can make signs but we you know we need help with that as mm -hmm. well with mm -hmm. with materials uh, that's my concern basically because what i said was um we're the last frontier before mm -hmm. the ocean mm -hmm. right so if we actually do our part it will create more impact mm -hmm. than we can ever imagine and that's always my um uh, my the tone and the focus of my classes it doesn't matter if you say we're in bio bio teaches ecology mm -hmm. and so when you see that the kids are interested it inspires you as a person mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. amazing mm -hmm. and I took that too I took that to heart right there um, and what are some things that would ex that excite you about the San Pedro community well our projects so um, I didn't actually realize this until lately that the school is not only <laughs> the school is not isolated mm -hmm. because when some of our community members donated stuffs in my classroom i was like wow i could do it and so um we reach out to just to to the community and they respond to us and so the community can also make some uh, connection with the students some common projects because you see when you teach they won't understand Mm -hmm. When you model and make them involved, they will understand better. Mm -hmm. So we're here. I don't have any plans of moving. I live here as well. <laughs> so um, if we take care of the environment, it's not only us it will benefit, but everyone else. The future will benefit. Mm -hmm. So a tie-up from elementary to middle school to high school would be perfect mm -hmm. as to the concept of environmental sustainability. Mm -hmm. And modeling also means that the restaurants might look at more sustainable packaging, you know, mm -hmm. instead of having those. I really want to make a survey <laughs> of the trash, but we don't have enough resources where it's coming from. Right, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Um, what are the, I'm just curious, what are the most sustainable um packaging for restaurants? I mean, obviously, styrofoam is not great mm -hmm. at all. Um, do you prefer the cardboard takeout boxes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the cardboard takeout boxes would be perfect. It's just that uh, some, you know, food, it, it can't be soggy, right? So they would put foil underneath so it get worse. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So I know this is very ambitious, but there's some, some you know, reusable ones that's more expensive though. So... Mm -hmm. You have to look at the economy and then the affordability of the food, what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Then that concern, I don't know, but if I could bring my own, mm -hmm. my I mean, own. you're coming at it from a very practical approach. It's this desire of wanting more sustainable options, more sustainable materials, but at the same time recognizing like restaurants are going through an economy that's, you know, difficult and then recognizing what's doable so i mean that's something that's high level of city officials you know right we would like yeah. for them to yeah it's in course, yeah i was gonna say you're obviously problem problem solving it like how do we get this to go you know how do we make this happen and of course with the cost of food and everything going up it is more of a commitment for restaurants to be able to do that yeah because environmental science is actually um uh, ecology 
economy, mm-hmm. sustainability. You mm-hmm. can't be saying this and not think of the other factors because right. it, it doesn't work like that. I Did, didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't realize there was an economical factor. In, yeah, but that makes sense because it would have a major impact on envir- in the environment. Yeah. And probably a lot of the reason, especially like on a high level, we're not making big changes is because it costs a lot of money, right? Yes. We're not doing the things that we should be doing, you know, whether it's corporations or whether it's just like government or all of our processes, we're not doing the more ecologically friendly thing because it's very expensive. Yes. And that cost might get passed down to the taxpayer, to the resident. It's just a commitment. And that's kind of like where we're at now, just mm-hmm. as a, as like, you know, um, in our country, it's just that it's been so high of a cost that we just postponed, 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 mm-hmm. and now we're here. We're now like our generation, our kids' generation, like further generations are going to have to deal with those ramifications head That's first. True. I just got like super scared and like stressed <laughs> out. <laughs> no, but do you remember before we we go? Mm-hmm. Do you remember what happened when the reusable bags? Yeah, law in California. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing's going to happen. Yeah. It will take a while. It'll take but a while, but there. we can adjust. Yeah. We're humans. We yeah. adapt, for yeah, sure. Solar true. is a good example of that. It's become cheaper over time. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and then composting. To... I know that there's a new... Yes. Uh, well, I think it's been in place for a while, but they're going to start enforcing that all households put their compost into their green bins and make mm-hmm. sure. And so even with my, me and my husband, you know, composting has been something we've been wanting to do for a long time, but we don't have a process for it. So it always ends up in either the trash or the green bin, but mm-hmm. my eggshells, my eggshells will pile up and I'm like mm-hmm. at the top of my bell peppers will pile up and I'm like, Hey babe, where do you want to put this? <laughs> Get it out of my face. <laughs> Quick tip for all of those, because I've tried composting multiple times, and I hate those little gnat flies that come and accumulate oh. over time. But I've heard, somebody told me this, and I was like, genius. Put it in the freezer. Put all your compost stuff in somebody the freezer. Somebody said that to me, too. Yeah, yeah. and just save yourself You that can trouble. actually buy, uh, uh, like, a desiccator. Mm. You just put it in. Is it and the then green? Like, is it a green compostable bin? Yeah. Okay. My husband yeah. and I were looking into that. Yeah. I'm looking at videos on Instagram. People mm-hmm. who have their own compost things mm-hmm. where they grow worms and then they give the worms to their chicken. And I'm like, we need chickens. We need everything. <laughs> They'll the chickens will eat our chick. You know, our kitchen scraps. <laughs> I know. If you go on like the podcast page, it's all sustainability stuff. Oh my goodness! So, I love that. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> we do have one more question. It's Jess's question. It's a really great one. And I'm excited to hear your answer. This is a fun one. So I just want you to kind of like think about your idyllic day in San Pedro. What time do you wake up? Where do you go to have breakfast? What do you go do and enjoy? And then how do you end your your day? Oh, so 5.30, like what I said, I do a little meditation and then my meds. (laughs) And then uh, have breakfast. I make my own breakfast or I pre-cook. Mm-hmm. and then go to work at kind of like it used to be I come earlier but lately I haven't been uh, not sleeping that well so uh, go to work from 8.30 to 3.30 after that take a nap mm-hmm. and take a walk outside and dinner and then bed yeah nice. so walking is good for the body Yeah, mm-hmm. I try so hard do you have any favorite places you like to go? Oh yeah, I love Basaya de Mar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where do you start 
from Paseo del Mar. Oh, I used to be park at Point Furman mm-hmm. and then go walk on the other side and then come back. Mm-hmm. If more energy, climb up the um, white point. Yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you have more energy. Mm-hmm. But if I don't have that much energy, I would drive down. You would drive down White Point and you sit there, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And hear the waves. Yeah, yeah. It's a very. I think a lot place. of us do that. I mean, a lot of people like <laughs> the regular ones will say hi. Um, that's probably my favorite walk during the pandemic. I went there a lot with my son, and he was still like in the stroller. Um, like two years old, you know, he didn't want to walk the whole time, but he, uh, it was, it was my favorite pastime really was just to walk in the neighborhoods over there, see the peacocks, Mm -hmm. you know, see all the beautiful flowers in everyone's yards and then go through white point too. Yes. It's, I, we're so lucky to have that here. I know. Yeah. 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 Did you see the flowers now? Oh, beautiful. Super bloom. Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. We have two dogs, so we like to go. I know that's the incredible thing is that we have this all accessible to us for free. Yeah. Yeah. It's free. So, Mm -hmm. you know, but don't, trash yeah yeah i actually would pick up trash i agree we do need more trash cans available Mm -hmm. though i think that that's something that i found is pretty tricky and that's throughout san pedro is just having more availability of that because then it's easier i have to say you know we i was i feel like before covid you know I was more in the habit of picking up trash, especially in my neighborhood. If I saw any, it was just really easy to go pick up trash. But then after COVID, no. mm-hmm. I had to second guess whether or not I was going to pick up trash with my bare hands, mm-hmm. you know? So it was like, ooh, do I have a glove with me? So it, it just kind of added this other layer of caution. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of just went out of sight, out of mind, you mm-hmm. know? As soon as I went inside, I forgot about the trash on the yard, mm-hmm. you know? So... I don't know. I would love to see us get back into the habit of picking up trash, maybe having gloves with us or yeah, even gloves. a trash picker-upper stick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, exercise when you bend and pick it up. Oh, stretch. <laughs> yes. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, or do a lunge. Lunge pickup. Yeah. <laughs> the good old bend yeah, and snap. Whenever yeah. I see something in the plants, I can't help it. Even I would always get it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or in... Um, on the beach as well mm-hmm. it's crazy this is great well we thank appreciate your time so much thank you for taking care of our community and teaching our kids to take care of our community and making it easier for us you know parents to teach our kids about taking care of the community that's amazing yeah i mean this is incredible and also showing that you know no matter the hurdles if you want to do something do it yourself you can yes. do it you know absolutely yeah thank you for having me Thank you. That's all for our episode. Follow us for more on Instagram at HelloSPPodcast. Huge thanks to Rock Ashfields at Palm Realty Boutique for providing us such a gorgeous recording space. And thank you to all of our amazing Patreon supporters. Leave us a review and share this episode with your friends, neighbors, and coworkers. See you next week.